0: But put that in perspective: the average 401k in America. If you have one, it's three, four, five percent. At 18 percent company-paid 401k. Most 401ks require a match or participation by the employee. In this case, it's 100 percent paid by the company at 18 percent. That's like four times the national average
1: on a paycheck. You're listening to the Pilot Money Podcast, the show dedicated to guiding professional pilots towards a future of financial success and stability. Fly along with your host, Timothy P. Pope, as he provides financial planning insights and answers to your burning questions and dives into real-life stories from fellow pilots who share their successes and cautionary tales. The Pilot Money Podcast takes off now.
2: Well, hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Pilot Money Podcast. My name is Timothy P. Pope, certified financial planner specializing in the planning needs of the professional pilot. I hope your 2024 is off to a great start. Joining me today is Kit Darby, and we have a fantastic conversation about pilot compensation. I thought as we launched the Pilot Money Podcast that it was necessary, required, to really talk about the compensation opportunity that professional pilots and particularly in this conversation, airline pilots have at their fingertips. So to value your career, to stay healthy, to show up and fly the airplane. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, Kit is very gracious and joining me for the launch of the pilot money podcast to talk about this topic. Kit brings over five decades of active Aviation Experience, and over three decades of aviation consulting experience specializing in the area of pilot compensation. For the past 15 years, Kit is president of Aviation Consulting LLC, where he specializes in litigation support for, you guessed it, pilot career earnings. So there is nobody better to talk about airline pilot compensation. If there is an authority on the subject, it is Kit Darby. So with that, let's jump in to this conversation with Kit Darby from KitDarby.com and Aviation Consulting, LLC. And be sure to stick around to the end where I'll break down the top three things that I want you to think about from today's conversation. Let's jump in. Kit Darby, welcome to the program. We're happy to have you on the Pilot Money Podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I'd love for you to share a brief background of your aviation experience. I see that you have over 23,000 hours. It spans military and civil. So I'd love for you to walk the listeners through where you've been in aviation and where you are today. Well, I uh, entered the service
0: out of college during the Vietnam War, not exactly my choice. Went off to Army flight school. They had uh, mostly helicopters, as they still do, but they had a fixed wing section and I got some advice from a existing Army pilot to hold out for fixed wings. So I became a fixed-wing Army pilot. I did that for seven, eight years. Never actually went to Vietnam. I was supposed to, but uh, they sort of started cutting back. So I stayed back, became an instructor, got lots of flight time. And as I was getting out, I was looking at the airlines. And right when I got ready to get out initially in 76, there was sort of a recession going on. So I stayed a couple of years and got out in 78. At that point, I got out, went to work for Braniff. I got my engineer ticket and a type rating uh, on the GI Bill, and then got my. I got hired by Braniff, worked there as a DC eight engineer and DC eight co-pilot in just nine months. But they grew rapidly and eventually failed. At that point, I worked in a family publishing business, which sort of got me into this part of it, where I'm, you know, providing information. Joined the Georgia Guard, flying my military airplane, the uh, OV one, and. Um, Got hired the second time by Republic, which was, of course, eventually merged into Northwest. But I didn't know that. I didn't know who they were going to merge with. Their leader was a a known merger meister. So I was uh, pretty sure they were going to merge, and I couldn't be sure with who. So I went back in the job market, and uh, I got hired by Capital for a little while, which was a a military charter that went scheduled after Vietnam. And I was a DC-8 co-pilot and even a captain there in about a year but they weren't a career position. So I was applying to the major airlines. I got hired by Piedmont, eventually merged to USAir, but I did not uh, stay there. I also applied to United, which was a larger company with much better retirements. And I went to United. They had a strike in 85, and I was in the process of selection and training, and I elected not to cross picket lines in a primarily unionized business. So I got to work and more like 86, and uh, spent 23 years there, progressed through the airplanes, retired as a 767 captain in 2007, and then uh, went to work for Boeing, teaching here in Atlanta at the AirTran Training Center on the 737 and eventually the 717. The 717s went to Delta, and I was fortunate enough to go with them. So I spent 10 years at Delta after retirement at age 60, first initially on the 717, and then I Again, teaching the ATP-CTP course, which is a new course required to get your ATP in the multi-engine airplanes. I did that for 10 years. And uh, now I'm teaching that same course at uh, a smaller school, uh, Sanders Aviation, teaching the ATP-CTP. So along the way, I got into the resume business and then the information business with a company called FAPA, Future Airline Pilots at the time, became future aviation professionals, worked there, grew the business from uh, 300,000 to 3.6 million. Had a falling out with my partner, left, started my own. Uh, it grew to the about the same size, 4 million or so, and 9-11 hit. And that was coming pretty close to my retirement age. So I downsized the business. And now it's myself and a few retired captains and resume writers. And we are a, a much smaller business. The, the business at its peak was 20,000 members. Eighty percent of the people hired were members of the company, civilian or military. But today it's just a few of us, and we we do resumes, application reviews, interview prep, and we've always maintained this salary survey, which was one of our most popular products at FAPPA and as well at Air Inc. So what we do is turn those salary surveys into uh, earnings models or earning capacity. My main job is an expert witness provide career values for pilots injured, killed, delayed. That's my main business. Although I still teach on the side and work with individual pilots, we pay the bills with the expert witness work where we determine career values for current pilots. We work airlines primarily, but we also do corporate, smaller airlines, military, a various
2: number of career options for professional pilots. Let's talk about the salary work. And I love this because you've seen all kinds of ups and downs, right? You can bring contacts to the salary conversation. So for the past 14, 15 years, you've been running aviation consulting. And You just mentioned, you know, a focus on airline pilot compensation. Can you talk to us about what is going on in the airline compensation environment right now?
0: You'd have to call it a wild and crazy time. Typically, you know, airline pilots do better when their airlines do better, and they were out of extended profitable period going into COVID. The typical business cycle is seven to 10 years, and at COVID, we were 11 years without a recession. It was time. Nobody knew what the cause would be. And then coming out of COVID with the shortage, which developed from a whole variety of factors, we'd actually seen the shortage coming several times before, and each time we were saved by a recession or sars or some other event would ease the market and the, the severe shortage didn't develop but in this time we retired 5000 pilots early and we haven't been saved by another downturn so we are seriously short of pilots i estimate uh, in the us looking across airlines corporate military we're probably 24000 pilots short right now today there are 500 airplanes at the regional's part The majors wanted to expand ten or fifteen percent this year. They couldn't do that, partially due to a lack of pilots. So there's a real shortage, and shortage, of course, drives up wage and benefits. So on the low end, on the regional airlines, where they didn't make hardly anything, you know, five or six years ago, the starting pay was twenty three thousand, which is clearly not a living wage for a professional. And today it's one hundred eight, so it's gone up four hundred percent starting pay. One hundred and eight, And the captains maxed out at one hundred and twenty or so. Today, they maxed out at 2.50. And if you were an instructor or in-demand position, it could go as high as 3.50, which is pretty comparable to major airline pay. I mean, the pay has come up so
2: much that it could be a career option for many people. So let's talk about that for a moment. It could be, right? Hey, 2.50, max an hour, and if I want to teach, maybe I make a little bit more. So it could be a long-term career option. The regionals, but how is that impacting then the majors? Some of these are wholly owned. If you're paying the guys at the regional that rate, what have we seen happen to the guys on the main line or ladies? Well, the
0: main line was making a little more, a lot more before they pay came up. And right now they're going through another round of contract increases. I have a chart, which I'll make available after the talk that shows the pay raises uh, from 2010 till today but the all the airlines that have new contracts, so they've gotten them in late 2022 or, or 2023, they have gone up about twenty percent more than the already great rates they already had, along with in retirement improvements. The retirements uh Delta United American were sixteen percent, one hundred percent company paid retirement programs. And in these new contracts, they go up to eighteen percent. I never thought I would see it go above well, sixteen, but it has, and and it's a significant increase. Over the next few years, it doesn't happen right away through the length of the contract, which is typically two to four years. These retirement contributions, 100% paid by the companies, will increase at Delta United and American at least to 18%. But put that in perspective, the average 401k in America, if you have one, it's three, four, five percent. An 18% company paid 401k, most 401ks require a match or participation by the the employee. In this case, it's 100% paid by the company at 18%. That's like four times the national average on a paycheck that's four times the national average. I mean, we're talking 15 or 20 times better retirement income and, and contributions than you would expect as a
2: normal corporate employee in America. There's two observations, as you mentioned that, that I think about is number one, the regional pilots don't have the 16 going up to 18% in 2026 direct contribution that the mainline carriers do. Yep. That's the big difference. You talked about the pay was
0: comparable, but the retirement is not. Although if they do their maximum match, in other words, if the pilot participates at a high level, they do have a very good retirement. It starts out low, but if if you spend time there and make your career there, it comes up to 12, 15% as well but you have to make your matching contribution and you have to stay long enough to benefit from that. But if you did stay, it would also provide a substantial return.
2: Right. So you can make it at the regional level. It requires a little longevity, requires some work. But at the main line, a lot of times what we're seeing is, with these new contracts anyway, day one, 16%, scheduled to go 18%. And then the 401k contributions are so attractive, so much in terms of total dollar amount, that we're seeing a lot of these market-based cash balance plans being added for money that can't go into the 401 k love to hear your thoughts on those. Again, you have options. The investments that you make or who you
0: have make them makes a big difference. You, there's a lot of money there. How much it grows is a function of the how adept you are at playing the market. I have to confess, I've been very busy doing the other things and very simple. I, I put all mine in the Standard Poor's 500, and I took it out when I retired. But there were guys that, that actively managed their retirement or had somebody else actively manage their retirement their whole career, and some of them did a lot better, and some of them didn't. Standard Poor's 500 yielded a, a very good retirement total sum for me. It wasn't the best, but it was far from the worst either. So I wasn't an active manager myself, and I didn't pay anyone to do it. I do now. But at the time, it wasn't foremost in my thoughts. Sure. Now, I see that you just put a slide on the screen. Walk us through this. This was the one I was looking at for career values. So career value being a sum of pay, benefits, and retirement. Pay rates come right off the contract based on longevity, airplane. Pretty easy to figure that out. And then you have to multiply at times your average flying, anywhere from you know, 80 to 92 hours a month average for pilots depending on the company. Some companies have 13, 28-day months, and they get the same amount of flying per month. Consequently, with an extra month, they end up with additional flying. So they might be the ones that would average 92 hours a month, where the actual FAA hard time limit flying in the seat, 1,000 hours divided by 12 is 83, somewhere around 80, 85 hours for most people, a little bit more for those companies that have 13, 28-day months. So that's the pay element, the hourly rate times hours flown. And then benefits, and of course, benefits include retirement, but we have a specific formula for retirement. So we use that formula. Each airline's a little different, and we use that formula. And what's left are non-retirement benefits. So what I do is I, I go to the Form 41, the Government Accounting of Airline Operations and Income, and I look at the benefit value for pilots and the compensation value for pilots, and I divide. It comes out that the average percentage of benefits provided by the airlines are somewhere between 25 and 35 percent. If you take away the 15 percent that's going into retirement, you end up with 15 or 20 percent non-retirement benefits. So that's what I
2: use. And when you say benefits, are these tangible cash in your pocket benefits? No,
0: those are insurance, medical, dental, uh, life insurance, travel, and again, it's, it's a sort of a buffet, you know? I mean, you have different things you can elect to do. It depends on the size of your family, all that stuff. So rather than trying to figure out what each individual pilot does, I just take the total benefit value and divide it by the total compensation value. And that is the percentage that's being spent on benefits regardless
2: of how you might choose to use it. When I look at this chart, say I'm 40 years old, I'm in Charlotte, so let's say I fly for American, I'm going to fly till 65, so I've got another 25 years in the game. How much total value is the remainder of my career? What's that worth?
0: That's a $10 million career. That's today's dollar. So it will be a much bigger number when you get it 25 years, some of it 25 years from now. But there's a number of accounting ways. When I go to trial with these things, some jurisdictions require that you increase it for the future raises and then decrease it for the inflation. There's another method, which is called the offset method, which assumes that the increases are offset by the decreases, which is pretty close, usually. So some courts will allow you to simply say that the value today is the same as the value tomorrow, because you'll get increases and decreases, then they offset each other. Others make you make the maneuver. And pilots have kept up amazingly well. If you talk to a pilot, he'll probably tell you it hasn't, (laughs) but he doesn't have the actual
2: data. And I've got the data. Before we go to the next chart, for the listeners at home who can't see what you've put on the screen, we're going to make this available. It's going to be in the show notes. But you could choose your airline. You could choose your seat. You can choose the amount of years left that you have. And the example that we just talked about was a $10 million career value. You're not thinking about future increases on the contract. Are we putting any kind of return assumptions on 401k? You don't really pick your seat and plane. I mean, seniority controls that to some extent. Sure. So
0: I have an 11-year captain in my calculations, which is very conservative today. People are, you can make captain much sooner, but not as far off as you might think. I mean, everybody talks about the most junior pilot that made captain. In many cases, that's in a year or two or three now. But the average person in a court case, I would have to work probabilities. So I can't assume captain until the majority until 51% make captain. And that's probably running six to eight years today, but over the long-term, it runs more like eight to 10. So I'm using 11, the $10 million number assumes captain in 11 years. If you make it sooner, the number would be higher. And then we look at the return. I'm using 5% as a very conservative estimate of a long-term return on the 401k. That's what I use. I feel it's conservative. It's certainly conservative compared to historic values.
2: I think the big takeaway is, hey, there's a tremendous opportunity here, right, as a professional pilot. A little earlier, you talked about the shortage. You talked about the 5,000 pilots that retired early with COVID. You talked about there was a shortage before COVID, and the industry hasn't been rescued by a downturn to kind of soften the blow. We all read the Boeing studies of how many pilots we're going to need by 2050. The CAE studies when do you anticipate things kind of leveling out, so supply leveling out with demand, and it no longer being a wild and crazy time for airline pilot compensation? Well, the demand for pilots has got two
0: main factors. One is growth, and growth is directly related to economic factors. And regrettably, those are extremely difficult to forecast, and I'm not going to try to do that here. Sure, But I would say that if we have a mild recession, hiring will decrease substantially. If we have a long, severe recession, hiring will stop. We might even go negative and have pilot furloughs. On the other side, the retirements themselves remain strong for another four or five years. So we've got half of the formula remaining good for another four or five years. We have the economic portion unknown, and we've been expecting, anticipating a recession ever since COVID, and it simply hasn't happened. So COVID would be considered a downturn by almost any measure. So maybe that was our 10-year downturn. Maybe we've got 10 years left. I don't know. Like I said, very difficult to forecast. We had one war. Now we've got two wars. Who knows? There's so many variables, very unstable right now, and the economy really is the wild card.
2: Sure. As a financial planner, I always like to tell clients, hey, we treat the future with the deference it deserves, right? And I think that's what you're saying as well. But the things that we know is, hey, it's a great time to be a professional pilot when it comes to compensation. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. We're recording this near the end of 2023. We've heard some weird and interesting things coming out of the cargo side of the industry. We saw that UPS gave an early retirement bonus. I can't remember the number. I think it was a couple hundred pilots that took that. And then more recently, we saw FedEx tell its pilots to consider flying with a regional carrier. What's going on in the cargo space? On the surface, that was
0: pretty offensive to the pilots because the last time they looked, everybody was making $23,000 a year. When you look back at it now, with the bonuses that are offered, between the job itself and the bonuses offered, you could easily get into the two hundred fifty to three fifty a year range, which should not insult anyone. This is a boom and bust industry. We call it shark's teeth. Up and down, up and down, up and down. I mean, and that's for the cargo business, it was up artificially due to COVID. It's down a little bit now. It's not down horribly, but it's down. That leaves them with too many pilots. Much more efficient for them to buy out early retirements just like we did for COVID or to find other things for them to do if they're attracted to that. Those are reasonable solutions. Although I'd have to say, when you talk about the job and the seniority and working within the job, it's not always logical. A lot of times it's more like religion or politics. It's an emotional thing. So that offer was poorly received. When I look at the numbers, though, I understand why. And I'm not offended. I'm not the one making the choice. But uh, at the same time, those are viable choices. And I would say the the lifestyle of a cargo pilot is different than the lifestyle of a passenger pilot. And when things are even, and they're not even right now, but when they're even, we actually see more people go from cargo to passenger than we do from passenger to cargo. That's not been true during COVID. You know, cargo was a great place to be. But not everybody wants to be on the backside of the airport in the dark. I mean, a lot of people, and myself included, I like being on the front side of the airport with TGI Fridays and Anne-Annie's pretzels and people going by. right? Many people derive their pleasure in life interacting with other people, and some people consider the lack of that an advantage. I mean, some cargo pilots cherish the fact that they don't have to deal with flight attendants and all that. But for me, I sort of like it. So, like I say, when things are even, we see more people go to passenger than cargo, and the route that was offered was a route to passenger, if you were thinking about going there anyway might not be a bad idea. If you were for there for the money, FedEx and UPS do have a higher career value, higher pay, better retirement program. And I would say there's a reason for that. That's a tougher job from my perspective than the uh, the big three
2: Delta United American or somebody like that. Yeah, you pay for it. In terms of the kind of flying, yeah, we've talked to clients at FedEx, and there's the the emotional component that you just mentioned. Hey, I I fly for for FedEx. Like, what am I doing flying for a regional now? And then, of course, the regionals—you've got more legs in a day, kind of thing. So that flying might wear you out. But then there is the money. Now, let's talk about potentially moving to a regional or, or just the idea of staying at a regional long term. We have relationships with a lot of career coaches, like yourself, interview prep, and things like that, and. Part of the conversation is like, look, when the music stops, folks do not want to be sitting in a regional jet. They'd much prefer to be sitting at a mainline. There are reasons when you move from one to the other, you're at risk again. You go
0: through training, you're on probation. So you go through a risk area. You're on the bottom of the list. So if there's a substantial furlough, you could be furloughed. So you could reach for the better job and end up without a job. That's the worst case scenario. So it is risky business in the first few years. So the typical furlough is under 5%, you know, 2 or 3%. A bad one is 5%. The worst one ever is 10%. So until you get 10% behind you, you're at risk. And I might add that had there not been the CARES acts under COVID, CARES 1, 2, and 3, We would have probably furloughed 20 or 25,000 pilots. 25% of the pilots in the U.S. would have been furloughed without government rescue. And by the time that government rescue was over, a light at the end of the tunnel, the recovering traffic and growth again, was to the point that, you know, you can't furlough a pilot for three months and save money because of the training up and back. If you're not going to furlough them for six, nine months a year, then then you're saving money by not furloughing them. So, CARES Act 1, 2, and 3, and the introduction of the vaccines, which moderated the virus, saved the airline industry in, in a way that it's never been saved before. In my previous life, I've been furloughed three times and bankrupt twice, and nobody ever saved me, you know. But in this case, they saved the whole industry, and it was genius because we're in a world market. And this world market, uh, we have a very viable, very vibrant, growing, capable airline to take advantage of this growing market now. And the rest of the world didn't do that. The rest of the world wasn't supporting their airlines and preventing furloughs and keeping the airplanes flying. They didn't do that. So we are in a very powerful position right now to take advantage of that market due to the incentives support from the government through the CARES
2: Acts 1, 2, and 3. It certainly, it's earned its spot in the history books there. Now, let's talk about this. So with Aviation Consulting, LLC, so the Pilot Money Podcast, our audience and our listeners are the professional pilot, both the business aviation and airline. So how does the airline pilot use your services? So the other thing I do is work with individual pilots,
0: their resumes, applications, and prepare them for interviews with a goal in mind of getting the job as soon as possible. We review the resume and many of them need to be redone. People say, well, it's a modern age. I don't need a resume, but that's really not true. Your resume at every airline is a part of the screening and interview process. So we want you to have a good professional resume. You would also give it to the people recommending you because recommendations are very important. The application is really the key document. And I got into the application business because I was writing resumes. And people would send me their application to gather their information, and I would look at the application and go, oh my God, you can't spell, punctuate, or answer the question. This isn't going to go well. So the application is scored, the number gets you the interview. And then when you walk into the interview, the person interviewing you has reviewed the application, usually right before you walk in, and that is your first impression. So we all know how important first impressions are. So the application is really key to getting the job. And then finally, the you know knowing what's coming, and on the internet today, you can find out the interview questions and all that. I always joke an ILS, which is you know precision instrument approach. Uh, usually, the first couple you fly don't go so good. You know, it, you're all over the place because it, it takes a lot of knowledge and practice to get it. And then later on today, experienced pilot, well, they nail it. And I always ask him, what's the difference? Well, the difference is practice. You know, knowledge and practice. So why would you? practice at ILS and not practice your interview. That's the key element to getting the job and you need some practice. So we go a three-hour training and practice session on Zoom. And I'd have to say for the last three years, the people we've prepared, we are 100% on a success rate. It really makes a difference to practice a little bit and find out, you know, if you've got stressors, if you've got some, we call them disclosure items, accident, incident, violation, training failure, asked to resign, whatever it is, You need to talk about it with somebody first before you talk about it with your potential employer, because the first time around, it's sort of 50-50 on how it's going to go, and we don't want those kind of odds on our career. We have a book on interview questions. We review their resume and application. We spend at least three hours with them in practice, and we're honest with them at the end. Occasionally, a, a few people need a little more. It's very
2: unusual to need more, but if we don't think you're there, we'll tell you. Well, I mean, NASA, you don't want to bust, right? We're, we're all pilots. We're used to check rides. So, this is the check ride that's going to open the door to some of these numbers that we just looked at. Earlier, you mentioned that you also provide expert witness services. Tell us about that. Hopefully, he doesn't need the expert witness
0: services. <laughs> the percentages are very small. My market is extremely small. But if a pilot is delayed in his career, so let's say you lose your medical due to somebody else's fault, car accident, motorcycle accident, whatever, and you lose three years, five years out of your career, I can put a value on that. And your claim, your personal injury claim, which is primarily what it would be, you could lose your medical forever. I mean, you can still work, but you lose your medical, can't be a pilot, or you could be a fatality. And now we're, we're working for your estate where we build this model like the one that the results of that we're looking at now, and that is used in a claim. So the the claim, if it's someone else's fault, the motorcycle, automobile accident, loss of medical, whatever, then that becomes a written report, a a big spreadsheet initially and a written report, which I stand behind a deposition or trial to help you achieve uh, your loss, either for your estate or for yourself if you're still with us.
2: I think it's been really informative to hear about your background, to look at some of the compensation numbers again on the Pilot Money Podcast. We're financial planners for the professional pilot. We look a lot at the compensation and the money. And then you just shared with us how you work with the individual pilot to help them grab the job that they're shooting. How can folks find your practice? How can they reach out to you for services? Kiddarby.com is the website. It has a store. I'm generally available by phone most of the time. We will have KitDarby.com in the show notes. We'll have the documents that you shared in the show notes as well. Kit, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Well, that was a great conversation that we had with Kit. And that brings us to the analysis section. Let's talk about a few key things that Kit brought to the table. So number one, and this is no surprise, but career earnings at major airlines are at an all-time high. So this is no surprise to you. You know this. It's all over the news. But the question is, what are you doing to capitalize on the fact that you're in a great career, you're making great money, and at a great time? Do you say, well, based off of those facts, my future financial goals are going to be met. They're going to work themselves out. But here's the deal. Your future financial goals won't just simply work themselves out. There's a little bit of work that you have to put into it to make that happen. So the second thing that I want you to think about is that you will have downturns in the industry. So you want to plan for it. You know, Kit said he was furloughed three times and he worked for two carriers that went bankrupt. So hopefully the industry as a whole is more stable than what we read about in hard landings. But as we speak, you know, we've got the JetBlue and the Spirit merger. We've got the Alaska and the Hawaiian merger, and these mergers may go off without a hitch. But history has shown us that there's usually some unpleasant surprises for the pilots that are involved. So you've got the uncertainty within the industry itself, and then you also have the normal economic cycles. So the success of the airline industry is tied directly to the health of the overall economy. So you may not know when a downturn is going to happen. You may not know the severity that it'll be when it comes, but the fact that you know that it's going to happen is enough for you to plan for it. And as we just mentioned in point number one, you're in a great condition to plan for a downturn. You've got the cash flow, right? So here's the question. When is the best time to plan for an emergency? And the best time to plan for an emergency is before the emergency occurs, right? So as a pilot, you spend time in the sim practicing your emergency procedures. I had a client tell me a couple months ago about an emergency depressurization that she had, and she dealt with it, and she said, you know, Tim, it was just like the SIM, except for the fact that her FO couldn't hear her. So they had to work through a communication challenge, but they got to their destination safely, which is what's important. So the same thing is when there's an economic downturn, and there's going to be some unexpected events, that's going to happen. But you ultimately want it to be a non-event because you've planned for it. So instead of an emergency, it's going to be more like hitting turbulent air. You're going to throttle back, right? You may look for smooth air at a different altitude, but ultimately you're going to get to where you're going. So how do you plan for a downturn? There's several ways to do it, but two things come to mind. One is you want to make sure that you have enough cash or an investment in non-qualified accounts. So these are going to be accounts with no strings attached that you have access to your funds whenever you need it without penalty. This method can work quite well, especially if you've been diligent in adding to these kinds of accounts over a period of a few years. By the way, I'm not saying to sacrifice any of your retirement stuff. I'm just saying to make sure that you set up a portion of your savings in some non-qualified accounts. Another way to save for a downturn or to prepare for a downturn that comes to mind is this. If you are prepared to increase the complexity of your financial position, you may be thinking about income-producing real assets, Okay, so real estate. A lot of times, the first thing that comes to mind for folks is thinking, about okay, I'll do a vacation property, but a vacation property is probably not the best hedge against a downturn because- Just like the success of the airline industry is tied directly to the health of the U.S. economy, so is vacationing and consumer discretionary income. So you want to think about assets where the revenue will continue to come in even during a downturn or tough economic time. The third thing that I want you to take away from today's episode is the expert witness services that Kit talked about. So I talk about loss of medical all the time. And typically, I'm thinking in the context of you getting sick, you're unable to fly. And so either your individual loss of medical policy or the company policy kicks in and starts to pay you some benefits. Kit brought a different scenario to my attention, and I'm so glad that he did. What if you have an accident of some sort and it's not your fault, but it results in your loss of medical or potentially your death? Now, as I'm thinking about this, a very well-known, well-followed, well-liked aviator went through this exact scenario. So the question you ask yourself is who would you turn to to put a value on the remainder of your career and to help make you whole? You would turn to an expert witness service, like what Kit talked about in our episode. And I think that every professional pilot should put in their just-in-case file a note About expert witness services, because this would be a traumatic time and a stressful time for you and your family. And if you take a small step now, right, you list the expert witness service out, you list out the contact information, that's one less thing that you have to think about if that situation ever came up for you. So, of course, this is something that you hope you never have to use, but in the event that you do, you or your widow or widower would be so grateful to know that these kind of services are in place and to know that it's available for you. So the three things that I want you to think about for today's episode is one, the career earnings at major airlines are at an all-time high. Take advantage of that. Two, you're going to have a downturn in the industry. Plan for it. And number three, put the expert witness services on your radar. Put it in your just-in-case file. Thank you for joining this episode of the Pilot Money Podcast. If you found this information helpful, spread the word and share it with a pilot buddy. Or if you have questions and there's something that you would like to hear discussed on the show, send us an email at pilotmoneypodcast at ceterrainvestors.com. That's C-E-T-E-R-A-Investors.com. For those of you who are ready to learn how we help professional pilots with their financial planning needs, schedule an appointment. The link is in the show notes. Until next time, keep the shiny side up, and we'll see you on the next episode.
1: Timothy Pope is a certified financial planner offering securities and insurance products offered through Satera Investment Services, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Satera Investment Advisors, LLC. Tim's branch office is located at 5277 Center Drive, Suite 330, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28217, branch phone number 704-717-8900. The views depicted in this material are for information purposes only and are not necessarily those of Cetera Investment Advisors. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information on the subjects covered. It is not, however, intended to provide specific legal, tax, or other professional advice. For specific professional assistance, the services of an appropriate professional should be sought.